This morning's gospel lesson is from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There was a cartoon going around on Facebook last Sunday afternoon that I took particular delight in after, um, after Easter worship when so many people were in our sanctuary to, to worship God together. It was wonderful. Uh, the, the cartoon is a picture of a couple leaving church talking to the pastor on their way out the door, and the couple says to the pastor, uh, Pastor, I think you're in a rut. Every time we come to church, you're preaching about resurrection. <laughs> yeah. In fact, we do every Easter. And the season of the weeks following Easter are always resurrection texts from the gospel. The text that Barbara read today is that wonderful text of Christ appearing to his disciples when they are behind locked doors. It says the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Now, I specifically chose a, a passage from a, a, a translation, the New International Version, for the fronts of your bulletins, you see the picture of the locked doors. Their translation is a little bit better than most of the translations I grew up on. 
Notice the difference in this translation. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Do you hear the difference? We Christians need to be very diligent and sensitive about passing on anti-Semitism. Because the church of Jesus Christ has done this for so many centuries. And the Gospel of John in particular is very hard to read unless we understand that every time the writer is referring to the Jews, he's referring to the Jewish leadership, the the Jews in authority, because Jesus was Jewish. The disciples were Jewish. There were good and faithful people who were Jewish, and there were people who were Jewish that were not good and faithful people. Like it is with Christianity, huh? There are Christians that are good and faithful and Christians who are not good and faithful. For so many years, Jews have been scapegoated for being responsible for the death of Jesus. And in the last 70 years, 80 years for sure, The church of Jesus Christ in the global community has been very cognizant of the ways that we have passed on, unwillingly or willingly, anti-Semitism. And so scholars are looking at this in the last 50, 60, 70 years and realizing the Gospel of John, which was written in the years, give or take a few, 120 AD, was written to a community that was struggling over whether they were Jewish or Christian. Did you have to be Jewish first to be Christian? Or could, could you just follow Jesus without being Jewish first? And there were really battles in that era between Jews and Jewish Christians and Christians. And so we need to realize that what John is referring to is the fear of the Jewish authorities who are trying to keep their power with Rome, to keep their place of respect with Rome, to keep their privilege with Rome. They are the ones that were kind of interested in having Jesus quieted down or in fact killed because he was putting their privilege and authority into question. But it wasn't all Jews at the time because Jesus was Jewish and the disciples were Jewish, but scapegoating that tradition of putting the sins of a community on a goat and sending the goat out into the desert to die, an ancient tradition that is almost archetypal, we human beings fall prey to that sensibility all the time. Look at the political debates going on in our country of how certain people are scapegoated, blamed for certain things in our nation and in our world. We do this as human beings. Jesus was willing to take all of that negative scapegoating and reflect it back to us as a humanity and say, look at what scapegoating does to the greatest gift that God can give. We still are stuck in the blame game. And friends, we don't need to go to the body politic or to scapegoating whole peoples. How many of us, when something goes wrong, our first inclination is to look to blame someone? 
We do this. It's who we are as human beings, but we need to take note of that, own it, and realize we don't want to continue that blame game of scapegoating. So the disciples, for fear, were locked up. But the risen Christ is not excluded by locked doors. Whatever those locks are that we put on the doors of our heart or the doors of our community or even the doors of our church, the risen Christ ignores locked doors. For he has a desire to be in relationship with all people. The risen Christ stood among them and said, peace be with you. You know, in that scripture, Barbara, that you read, I think he says, peace be with you three times. It's almost as if they don't get it (laughs) the first time. It's almost as if he's saying, let me repeat myself. Peace be with you. I'm not angry with you. I'm not upset with you. I've forgiven you. Peace. I want you to know peace. That's what the risen Christ desires. And he says, so, just as the Father sent me, so I send you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, followers of Jesus, we are a sent people. You know, when we pray, uh, God, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, that's our sentness. We are Christians not to just come to worship, not to just be in community, which is good and important, Our goal is to be sent into the world to represent the Christ, to represent grace, to represent forgiveness, to represent compassion, to represent God's desire for all people. We are sent to follow Jesus out there. And then he does something. I don't know what this must have looked like or sounded like or even smelled like, but he breathed on them. Do you ever wonder what Jesus' breath smelled like? I wonder if it smelled like the wine and the bread that he had had with them. I wonder if his breath smelled like fish. I wonder if he had fish breath. He did like to eat fish. In fact, he proved his, himself as a risen real presence by eating fish on the beach with the disciples because they thought he was a ghost. He breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is one of two Pentecost stories. The Pentecost we'll celebrate on May 15th when we have confirmation, the coming of the Holy Spirit. But this is another coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he equipped them and empowered them to do something that was impossible to do without the Holy Spirit. And that was to forgive others. Forgiveness. Oh, that's so hard to do. I know some of you may already be thinking, oh, that's fine to preach forgiveness, but Jeff, you don't know what they've done to me. You don't know the injustices. They were wrong. Forgiveness is not deciding whether someone's right or wrong. Forgiveness is deciding whether we are going to be held victim or not. 
And when we can forgive, we're free. And we don't need to go through all of that anger and replay our own justification. When we forgive, we are free. And it has nothing to do with justifying bad behavior. Jesus knew this was difficult, and so he breathed the Holy Spirit on them and said, now you have the power to forgive. This is what you're sent to do. On April 17th, we're going to have conversations in the spiritual life in the Asbury Room two weeks from today. And I'm going to show a DVD on real-life forgiveness stories that have taken place around this country and around the world that may give us courage and an example of what forgiveness looks like in very difficult situations. He breathed on them. The word, I'm glad to see some seminarians here, the Greek word was epheseo, the same word that was used in Genesis when God breathed into the nostrils of Adam and gave him life. The only other time that epheseo is used in Scripture Genesis, today's passage of Jesus breathing into them, and Ezekiel, when he breathed into the dry bones and said, live. Do you hear what Jesus is hoping to do to the disciples and to the church? Breathe new life into us, new breath into us, new courage into us, so that we can rise from the dead. I don't know who you need to forgive, I need to forgive, but I know there's somebody. Somebody here probably needs to forgive their parents for not meeting their expectations. One of my mentors in ministry, when I was just getting started, he was a father, grandfather, he had three kids, he had seven grandkids at the time, I don't know how many grandkids or great-grandkids he has now, but he said to me, um, this is just about the time that Matthew was born, our our son who's now 15, he said, "Um, Jeff, my, my wife and I realized very early on in our marriage that our kids would have plenty to talk to their therapists about, so we just enjoyed ourselves. He said, either we'll love our kids too much or not love them enough. We'll hug them too much or we'll not hug them enough. They'll have plenty to talk to their therapists about. So maybe we need to just forgive our parents. Or maybe someone here needs to forgive their kids for not meeting their expectations. Or maybe someone here needs to forgive their grandkids for doing something stupid. Hmm. Or maybe someone needs to forgive their spouse for saying something stupid. We do that. (laughs) Maybe someone here needs to forgive their pastor or a pastor from the past. Or maybe someone here needs to forgive the church for not being faithful enough. Or forgive the denomination for not getting it. Or maybe the hardest person we need to forgive is ourselves. Maybe Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit into us so that we can forgive ourselves for not meeting our own expectations.
there are layers and layers and layers of how to interpret this particular passage, these particular locked doors, this particular risen Christ who seems to not want to be stopped by anything, who wants to be in relationship with us even when we've blown it, even when we doubt. You know, doubt is just the other side of faith. Frederick Buechner, Mike, I know you're a friend of Frederick Buechner. He said, doubt is the ants in the pants of faith. It makes us uncomfortable and keep searching, keep looking. Listen to this. I close with this. Uh, this is from Reverend Steve Garnis Holmes, who's a United Methodist pastor in New England. And he writes about a guest with a big G guest who might just be similar to this risen Christ who walks through locked doors. And Steve writes about this passage and the locked doors from a contemplative prayer point of view. We who are practicing centering prayer even in our worship services and trying to be silent in prayer in various ways. Listen to this. In anxiety, the doors of your heart are locked, but they protect inward space. Open your inner spaciousness for the guest. Don't worry about your attitude. Just create space in your breathing, in the actual sensations in your body, for the guest to be there. Welcome him. Pay attention to him. Be present to him. Feel the sensation of his breath in you. Let him show you his wounds, your fear, your anger, your shame, your grief. There is enough love for you to bear it. Simply let him be there. Let him speak to you. Let him set you free. If you forgive anything, it is forgiven. If you retain it, it is retained. You can let the anxieties go. He breathes his life into you. Now you can pass through those doors at peace. Peace be with you. Amen.